I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to EE Times On Air. And this is the weekly briefing for the week ending September 17th. There are few things I enjoy more than a metaphor I can treat like a $500 car, something I can ride until it just breaks down and dies. I got one for you here. Ready? The extreme edge of the Internet of Things is like the Wild West. If you're an IoT device out on the edge, you're probably out there all alone, making a go of it far from any other devices. And if you're not alone, if you do have a few neighbors nearby, they've probably got their own concerns. Now sure, there's some civilization out there someplace, somewhere in the form of data centers, but they're just too far away and too expensive to get to. Nope, you're going to have to rely on the resources you have at hand. Maybe a coin cell battery, maybe some energy harvesting mechanism, and definitely only whatever intelligence you were sent out there with. Here's hoping you can learn quickly from experience. And if trouble arises, well, it seems I might have ridden this metaphor as far as I can flog it. We'll be talking today about the IoT, why artificial intelligence and machine learning are critical at the edge, not just for applications, but for security. Our guest this week is Chris Catterton. He's the head of solution engineering at a startup that two weeks ago was called OneTech, but as of this week has been renamed MicroAI. First, here are some of the stories you can find in EE Times this week. Innovation in the electronics industry seems to come in waves. In recent years, the memory segment has been particularly dynamic, with a handful of new variants referred to as emerging memories that seem to be becoming hot commercial prospects. Many thought that new applications, such as artificial intelligence and 5G communications, were going to create a demand for emerging memories. But is that what's actually happening? Read our story on the subject. It's called, Ubiquitous AI Will Rely on Conventional Memory. Okay, so the headline kind of gives away the mystery. But you're going to want to read it anyway for the details. We've been covering new advances toward commercial fusion power. This week, we have stories about two more. One about a startup working with Oxford University, and one about another startup working with MIT. We are still nowhere near commercial fusion, but after decades of baby steps, we are now making leaps forward. We are also pleased to present this week the latest episode of our Artful Engineer video series. It has always seemed to us at EE Times that among engineering professionals, there's a strong affinity to the arts. The Artful Engineer profiles individuals who pursue both. In our latest episode, contributor Junko Yoshida sits down with Chin Beckman, an engineer who, with her husband, co-founded DSP Concepts, a company that specializes in audio technology. Chin is also a concert pianist with the California Pops Orchestra. Here's an excerpt with Junko and Chin. You ended up going to Boston University and majoring in both music and engineering. Where did the engineering things come into the picture? Engineering was more because I have the aptitude for the math. 
And so it was a good thing to study and it was interesting. And of course, the piano part is uh, the easy part because anytime, anywhere, there's a piano to be touched, you know, I want to be part of that. <laughs> That was Junko Yoshida with Chin Beckman, who was also playing the music you just heard. If you are already on this podcast episode's webpage, look to your left. There you'll see links to the new episode of The Artful Engineer and to the other stories I just mentioned. Or if you're feeling adventurous, you can also go straight to eetimes.com, where you can get details on all of these stories we just mentioned, along with plenty of others. Some people are excited about the Internet of Things because of the things themselves and all the good that they might be able to do. Others are excited about the IoT because, by even the most conservative estimates, in just a few short years, the market is likely to be worth in excess of a trillion dollars a year. Whether it's techno-future optimism or just plain greed or, most likely, some combination of the two, Companies all over the world are rushing to connect things as fast as they can. The more data you have, the better you can potentially perform, and that's true whether you're running a soybean farm or running a marathon. But there's a potential problem with connecting everything willy-nilly. Whatever you connect immediately becomes a target for malicious hackers. We don't want anyone to be able to lock up the IT departments of entire cities or steal the account information of major commercial enterprises, but yet here we are with that stuff happening repeatedly. How bad could it get if malicious hackers were to take over a delivery truck fleet, for example, or medical implants such as pacemakers? The industry is responding with all sorts of schemes. There's been an accelerating movement toward zero-trust architectures. Another proposal gaining steam is physical unclonable functions, or PUFFs. The idea is to find some random feature of an IC that varies from chip to chip and use that unique profile to generate a unique key that cannot be hacked. And then, recently, we heard tell of a startup with a technology that adds machine learning, or ML, to microcontrollers used for edge devices. The company was called OneTech when I was introduced to it, but it recently changed its name to MicroAI. MicroAI's technology is called AtomML. The company claims that AtomML can perform AI training and inference, do it separately in each instance of any type of IoT device, do it with minimal resources, and with the fringe benefit of ensuring device security. Well, with all of that, I was curious to find out more about this company. To go back to my opening metaphor, it sounds like micro AI is single-handedly doing its part to tame the Wild West. Here's my conversation with Chris Catterton, who's in charge of solutions engineering at micro AI. Chris, talk to me about what you see at the edge of the Internet of Things and uh, what kind of solutions are necessary for those kinds of applications? Yeah, absolutely. So the IoT is great at creating a lot of noise, a lot of data, <laughs> and the market has gone through a craze of throwing sensors on everything, right? People are wanting to collect data everywhere. And 
with that uh, comes a lot of cost. So these solutions, I, I think, are sometimes uh, more so just experiments to, to see what types of, of data can be collected. And then over a period of time, they see just the sheer amount of, of data that is generated. That's all transmitted through a certain protocol and then eventually ends up in the cloud. Um, the market's now realizing that the edge is starting to play a crucial role in deployments of, of IoT solutions and particularly moving intelligence from the cloud down to the edge environment. So I would say that, you know, more and more intelligence and processing of that data is happening at the edge and it's moving from cloud to edge to really the extreme edge where in that local embedded environment, a lot of data is being processed and really only the insight of uh, what that sensor value is connected to is being shipped down versus that you know, vast amount of raw data having to move that local environment. So, so basically, uh, you've got uh, a bunch of people who, a bunch of potential customers, budding customers, new customers, and potential customers who are beginning to experiment with this stuff and realizing there's a vast amount of information that they can uh, collect, but then the 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 hump, so to speak, is sifting through it and figuring out what's valuable and what's valuable perhaps in time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And really, you know, so here at MicroAI, we work with three main buckets of, of companies, right? Um, so starting with all the way down to the silicon and hardware manufacturers, embedding intelligence into all the way down to the, the MCU level of this, of these hardware designs to create that, uh, that localized processing and kind of moving up the stack. Second bucket would be equipment OEMs, so smart equipment, smart device manufacturers who have a lot of sensors in their equipment today, but may or may not have localized processing. And lastly would be the asset owners. And that's who we've worked with most commonly to date, where the asset owners are the ones experiencing those business pain points of, I have a lot of data, it's costing me a lot to, one, transmit to a cloud environment, and it's costing me an arm and a leg to process it and try to make sense of all of this data that I'm generating. So ultimately, we, you know, make sense of that data with our uh, with our products and technology in that local environment. So drastically reducing the amounts that really needs to even leave that local facility. Um, think of a, an oil and gas use case. You have a lot of pump jacks spread across the globe. And ultimately, I don't need to know that these these assets are performing as they should. I really just want to be notified if something's trending towards a failure or something looks a bit you know, out of whack, a bit anomalous, if you will. Um, and you know, then I can then take action. So instead of just a, a text message going out that a pump jack in let's say Midland, Texas is uh, acting a bit odd, um, I can generate an API call and have a work order created for a truck to roll out uh, versus having to, you know, engage a big team of data scientists to sift through all of this data to make sense of it. It's all happening there at the end. 
so we're talking about uh, uh, while well, we we're in the already in the middle of a, a phenomenon where where people have realized that shipping a lot of data and and processing it in a data center uh, can get a little expensive. Uh, so so part of this is economic. Um, the question becomes uh, moving processing to the edge, and that's ordinarily expensive too. Um, but the answer to that seems to be machine learning, machine and train, you know, AI at the edge. Talk to us about the phenomenon of of uh, getting adequate processing power and and intelligence at the edge. Absolutely. So. You know, machine learning um, has, well, continues to rapidly evolve. And here at MicroAI, if you were talking to me two years ago, um, I would say that we need, you know, a few megabytes, maybe 10 megabytes to deploy our technology in this embedded environment to have a, you know, an accurate and precise model that is able to, to train locally and, and execute locally. That size is a continuous um, evolving ecosystem for us to reduce uh, the amount of memory and, and compute power needed. So think of a, let's take a ARM Cortex M4 based device. Um, we're utilizing, let's say for five unique data inputs that are uh, being sampled every one second, uh, that entire file size, right, that we're consuming is about 15 KB, so extremely lightweight. Um, as far as placing the, you know, micro AI or this embedded AI tech onto, you know, very, very low cost, low resource, uh, or low compute power MCUs. So, you know, most gateways that most, you know, most commonly would be defined as an edge uh, have microprocessors. So that is plenty of horsepower to run a very, you know, uh, hierarchy of various mm -hmm. machine learning models. And, you know, so at the edge level, you can have many, many uh, models running. And then if you go all the way down to the, the extreme edge, that embedded environment where most commonly MCUs are, are living, um, you know, this, this embedded tech that we have is able to go extremely lightweight down into, you know, the, the tens of KB. Nice. So uh, let me talk to you about the name of your company, recently renamed Micro AI. That's, uh, that's very descriptive, and but it's also resonant of an existing phrase, um, tiny ML, and I'm wondering if there's any relationship between between the two concepts. Yeah, certainly. So, um, it, really, micro AI was a product that we officially launched in 2020, and just here uh, about a week ago, and here in September of 21, we renamed our company from OneTech to MicroAI, really just to resonate with our, our core competency of very low, uh, you know, small footprint embedded AI technology. And the tiny ML movement has really been moving for the past three, four years. And it's about the same timeline that, that 
we've been on here at, at One Tech slash now Micro AI. Um, and it really just to give some some genesis or some background on how we were formed, um, a few different use cases that we deployed uh, long back, let's say five six years ago. There were, there was a common theme in these IoT deployments where we're looking for certain conditions on the assets that we're monitoring. So whether it was shipping containers, looking for mold growing or fungus growing environments for, you know, let's say wool being shipped, um, or if it was, you know, looking at uh, telco network equipment where we're looking for specific series of, of log functions coming through that would indicate that a, you know, a memory issue was upcoming. Um, mm -hmm. These types of patterns were uh, certainly uh, detectable once we had that historical data and, and ran analysis on it, but we knew there had to be a better way than shipping all this raw data to then run analysis post it being generated. So started looking at how can we get this intelligence down on the machine or on that sensor kit that's, mm -hmm. that's generating this, this information. So, uh, you know, really... OneTech was born, MicroAI, the, the product was born then, and it's been a continual evolution to, one, shrink the size, two, uh, have libraries or SDKs that work on many different platforms. So, um, you know, work, as I mentioned earlier, with a lot of different silicon manufacturers, so a lot in the free RTOS OS space, but, uh, you know, also embed Linux. So a lot of different flavors, if you will, uh, of microAI. So uh, it kind of drifted away from from TinyML and microAI, but it's uh, they're they're synonymous, if you will. I think the, the microAI and, and TinyML um, ecosystems, right? We're we're all one and the same, um, and it's it's all kind of pointing towards the same vision of moving intelligence just closer and closer to the the source of data. The, the the question that that opens up is it's understandable why you'd want to be able to identify um the rhythms the da the data uh the data flow of an individual pacemaker wearer or an individual oil rig um can you aggregate that data so Certainly. in other words, can you pull, what, what's the process of, once you do that, what's the process of pulling each individual instance and then learning from, from the, the group? Yeah, it, it, that's really federated learning, which is, you know, falls right into this. So, uh, which is, which is in two words, what I just asked in 47, right? <laughs> yes, yes, certainly. So um, there, there's a lot there to your question, though. So uh, let's talk about our approach to uh, to that, where there's many, many assets and we need to potentially find, you know, the outliers or the, the abnormal uh, patterns with inside of these these assets that we're monitoring. So whether it is head of cattle out in a pasture and we're trying to find ones that are not acting the same as others, right? May not be going to water as often, or may be moving 
whites a lot, and that's actually whenever cattle uh, go into to heat, it actually starts walking around quite a bit. Um, mm. So there's there's all these different uh, data signatures that can be then classified and fed back to the model that will indicate of a certain event that is either occurring or, or about to occur. So moving from heads of cattle to, you know, let's talk about assets in a manufacturing line. Um, hundreds and hundreds of assets within inside mm-hmm. of a single line that will all work in. It's really a, a very complex dance that occurs between all of these machines and, and operators and conveying systems and electric motors and welders, what have you, um, that all work in unison to create a single unit of mm-hmm. a finished good, right? Um, what, what manufacturers and, you know, really plant managers have a hard time doing is understanding where is the, the loss of productivity occurring. Um, and it's, it's quite easy to blame, you know, unexpected downtime. But let's say in a, a perfect world, everything is, you know, not breaking down, the, the line's running, uh, but still they're not hitting their, their, their target as far as units being produced. So by connecting these assets, everything from those electric motors that are moving the line and conveying systems to the robotic arms that may have end effectors of material handlers, and they may have welders attached to them, and all the way to the palm buttons being pressed and roll up doors and whatnot for the operator stations, you were really able to, to form a behavioral profile down at the subcomponent level of each of those assets. So think mm-hmm. of a robotic arm that has you know, four or five joints or knuckles in it. Uh, if you're going to have servo motors there, we can pull current and voltage for the servo motors. We can pull vibration, temperature, whatnot. Um, and so we're talking about thousands of, of data points being gathered. What I'm getting at here is by forming a behavioral profile of how each subcomponent and asset works whenever a specific job is coming down the line, we're able to, to know what, what normal is for, for each one of those, those individual machines and, and stations. Um, as normal uh, starts or as the, the actual values come through, and if there is a deviation from normal, um, you know, trigger an event, trigger a notification. And depending on how severe that deviation is from normal, it may just be a event that's logged and then you can run further analysis to determine if there's a pattern or correlation of when this is exactly occurring. Or if there's a, a significant deviation from normal, you may trigger, like I said earlier, an API call to open up a, a ticket in the maintenance system to have a, a tech go out there. So really what, what we're doing is um, forming that behavioral profile, how the machine should be operating, and if there is a deviation, triggering an action. So uh, all of that being said, let's say that there's a manufacturing line that's running widget X, um, and across the country, um, there's a manufacturing line that runs that exact same product. For the most part, the, the learnings that have that have been gathered from the first facility that is instrumented and we're gaining information from, those learnings can be shared to that non-connected line, if you will, right? So we know that whenever these three items occur, um, 
there's going to be an issue. Or instead of maintaining a specific asset every 30 days, it needs to be every 400 cycles. Um, so getting to the root of your question here, the learnings from the connected assets and the ones that do have this embedded intelligence can be shared across the other assets that may or may not be connected mm -hmm. and, and have this this tech in, in embedded. All right. Uh, so the uh, the heart of what you just told me also plays into the next question about um, about security. Um, uh, if you've been listening to my podcasts or reading our articles, I'm a little jaundiced about IOT security. Um, I find that, uh, I find that in situations where with consumer goods, especially, uh, IOT security is not necessarily top of mind with the end customers, uh, here, uh, with the applications you're talking about, um, these, uh, so, in a consumer situation, the rice cooker or whatever isn't an asset. It's it's a product, and once it's out the door, it's gone. But in almost all of the, uh, the situations we've been talking about so far today, it sounds like the the end the, the end device is an asset. It's a robotic arm. It's a head of cattle. Um, and you want to make sure that this thing is operating well or is healthy, right? Um, so I imagine that in these kinds of applications, security is a huge concern. It, it certainly is. And so conversations around security have with our, our customers or potential customers um, have gone from a nice to have to a must-have is, I think we're almost there of, of saying mm -hmm. it, it is now a must-have. Um, it's hard to put a an ROI on security, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because you're really simply stopping a some sort of an event that potentially could cost you money. But if you're, you're stopping it, uh, then you don't know how much it actually would have cost you. Um, so not being able to put a, a dollar figure on, okay, what is our ROI by implementing this security solution uh, has been a bit hard for you know customers to, to kind of grasp what is happening in the market. Uh, and this actually happened a week or two ago with a potential customer that we're in early conversations with. Mm -hmm. um, they, they're a manufacturer and they fell guilty to a, a ransomware attack where the hacker was actually able to go down to the controller level and lock them out of their controllers where the machines were not able to operate, right? Um, and they, they ended up spending a few hundred thousand dollars to, uh, to get out of that, that situation and keep operating. And uh, it that's was a clear pain point, isn't it? it yeah. 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 So it was, it was uh, an unfortunate, timely event uh, as, as we were kind of presenting our security solution to them, uh, you know, short, right around that time. Mm. Um, so really endpoint threat detection is, is the, the niche that we, we fit in with, with the, the cybersecurity technology landscape. Um, I don't know if there's a single player in this, this landscape or ecosystem today that truly can go end to end as far as securing an entire solution. 
uh, or deployment, but really our, our main focus is endpoint threat detection. What I mean by that is instead of looking at that behavioral profile of you know, sensors of you know, temp, humidity, vibration, what have you. We're looking at internals of, of a connected IT asset. So think of CPU usage, memory usage, data packet size, what have you. Um, and IoT devices are quite regular, if you will, as far mm-hmm. as their, their pattern of, of how they operate, right? wakes up once an hour, sends an 8KB packet, and goes back to sleep. Um, you know, and the rest of the time, it's consuming a little bit of CPU or memory as it, uh, as it you know, gathers sensor information. Um, whenever a hacker goes into these assets, even at, uh, at they can tiptoe in, they're going to make that normal pattern of op- operation deviate ever so slightly. Um, even if they're going in for a, a zero-day attack to place, you know, malicious code, um, they're they're still going to make that, that CPU usage spike or memory usage spike. And on that trigger, right? There's a lot of other data points that we we monitor, but you know, those are some of the quick examples. Um, as soon as that that spike or small deviation occurs, uh, trigger you know, action, whether that's cutting network traffic or resetting the device, rebooting the device, um, all of which would then stop that attack in its tracks from, you know, actually causing some sort of catastrophic issue. Yeah. So um, it sounds as if the same functionality that allows you to do predictive maintenance, the ability to look at an individual unit and find out if there is some anomalous behavior there is the similar or the same to being able to detect threats, uh, going ahead, taking a look at some deviation in behavior. Um, is it exactly the same or is it, is it two separate functions that happen to be conceptually alike foundationally the the same technology is used um so micro ai is is the foundational tech that is is being used for both predictive maintenance um operational excellence and what i mean by that is instead of looking at the sensor values to determine if the machine needs to be maintained it's really looking at is this machine performing is the output of this machine uh, up to par and up to, to plan values. Um, same with security. All three fall into u- utilizing micro AI to form that behavioral profile and specifically micro AI, Adam, ML, uh, to form that behavioral profile of the, the internals of that connected device. Yeah. Uh, with security, from the security standpoint, um, what are the countermeasures the technology is able to to provide um is uh you once you detect something that's one thing um can you are there mechanisms for isolating the cpu that might be under under attack or uh are and are those native to micro ai or are are you working in conjunction with uh, whatever microprocessor that uh, that you're working with. Yeah, we work really closely with the, the hardware manufacturer of, of the devices to determine what action they want to take. And 
Um, depending on the silicon, the chips that are being used, there's different functions that can be called to isolate uh, and, again, trigger action in a specific area of the board. So it's, it's really device-to-device device specific, or at least OEM-to-OEM OEM specific as far as, um, you know, how open they want to be as far as uh, functionality calls. What what kind of the beauty of micro AI, Adam, is that we don't, as in here at, at micro AI, we don't have to be the uh, the ones to fully deploy on the, the board. So we can give the basic library to the users, right? And the user in this case could be manufacturer of a new uh, industrial IoT sensor kit, and they need to have security on that kit. So we can give them the security micro AI library, and they can go in and configure what data inputs they want to ingest and what actions they want to take or want that they want to take place based on certain thresholds. Right. So it may be uh, a ladder of 15 different uh, events that happen, and Think of a if this, then that, right? So if, if these three things occur, then we want to trigger these this set of actions. Um, all of this is configurable by the users, and it, it's really been built out. MicroAI Atom has been built out where, um, you know, it does not take a very complex or, or uh, extremely senior uh, engineer to, to, to build utilizing MicroAI Atom. Um, I'm out of prepared questions. What have I neglected to ask you about that's important to know about using um, Atom ML or working with micro AI? Yeah, yeah. I think one of the, the key elements is to get to the hockey stick growth in IoT, embedded AI needs to be a part of the equation. And we touched on just the cost of, of, you know, some of these IoT deployments. And um, in some instances, IoT solutions are not deployable due to the, the cost of, of data transmission and whatnot. So by deploying localized processing, you know, with technology such as, as MicroAI's AtomML, um, process the data locally and only send down what's absolutely necessary. So instead of having gigabytes of data, you know, per day in some instances, um, you know, we're talking about a few messages here and there, um, uh, reducing it down to, to kilobytes, right? So mm -hmm. I think, you know, point being that for, for IoT to, to have this hyper growth that everyone has really been waiting anxiously to, to actually occur. Uh, embedded AI is the catalyst of that. Chris, thank you so much for your time today. It was, a, it was fun talking to you. Likewise, Brian. Uh, thank you very much. That was Chris Catterton of Micro AI. While we're on the subject of AI, we're pleased to announce the latest episode in our Artificial Intelligence podcast, which is hosted by EE Times editor Sally Ward-Foxton. Sally spoke with some of the presenters at the recent Hot Chips conference, including executives at two of the hottest AI startups, GraphCore CTO Simon Knowles and Esperanto founder Dave Ditzel. She also spoke with Synopsys CEO Art DeJayas. 
Here's a clip of Sally with Art from that episode. Even far into the future, humans are still going to be involved in the design process, right? I mean, we should think of AI more like it's not taking over the design. It's more like the next level of automation, like it's a tool that we can use, right? Yeah, it's, in this case, it's a, su- it's a super tool because it sits on multiple tools underneath. But that is absolutely the way you should think about it. And, you know, if you think about it like that, you are part of the people that, that understand or believe in exponentials. If you think of it as just sort of uh, you know, an improvement, then you're essentially on a linear curve. Well, great, you know, I can do a little bit more. Uh, and, you know, if you can do something in half the time, theoretically, you can do twice as much. But if you can do something in half the time and it gets better and you trust it, you're going to decide, I'm no longer going to do these things. I'm going to focus on the next level up. And, and by the way, there's, a, there's an extremely big imperative opportunity to think now the level up. To listen to our full AI podcast, there's a handy link on this podcast episode webpage. And that concludes this episode of The Weekly Briefing. Thank you for listening. This podcast is available on all the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us via our website at eetimes.com podcasts, you'll find a transcript along with links to the stories we mentioned. The Weekly Briefing is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McCray at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week. I'm a bit of a hobbyist myself, right? So at the house, I have all sorts of connected gadgets and whatnots and all the way to where it's connected to the location on my phone. And depending- Wait a second. Your ho- your hobby is like hooking up your smart home? Yeah, of course. Of course. Because there's... Uh, <laughs> okay. And, and so, you know, I, whenever I get close to the house, uh, you know, lights come on, specific, uh, you know, the, the AC will adjust, um, you know, Depending on, again, the time of day, the, the, you know, I can have Amazon Alexa kick on and start playing music. Uh, blinds can adjust and whatnot. But it's, it takes someone that really works in the IoT space to stitch all of that together and, and to be, you know, the geek that I am to actually make all that, that truly come together.